The following is a message by the Rev. Ted Hamilton from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. I'll uh, open us in prayer after the reading of uh, the word. I want to open with an apology uh, to those of you here this morning, um, others of you here this morning, because this morning I want to speak a word directly to the men in here who are studying to become preachers of God's word. Uh, That's not to say, I hope, that what I will say will have no relevance to the rest of you. Uh, It's just that it it will, I also hope, have particular relevance to future preachers. Our text this morning is from the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. The faculty is uh, working its way through uh, 1 Corinthians this year in random fashion. (laughs) And... uh, Barb Van Solkema was kind enough to send me a list of the texts that had already been covered, and I, so I found one that had not, and uh, this is a good one. Actually, I was surprised it hadn't been covered yet. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, we're just going to look at the first five verses. This is God's word. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God's inerrant and infallible word. Let's pray. Father, um, may the words of my mouth now and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray this, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. I was uh, being worked by a master. This goes back a few years ago, back to my former life as an attorney. I was seated in a conference room in a L.A. high-rise, full of businessmen and accountants and two lawyers. We were working on a multi-million dollar transaction, and I was there supposedly as an expert to be consulted on the legal and tax technicalities of the transaction. But this, there was this one other lawyer in the room from a competing firm, older than I was, more experienced than I was at the time, and when it came time for the lawyers to weigh in on the, uh, on the transaction, before I could open my mouth, uh, this other lawyer jumped in and took over. He was very smooth, very polished. But what I noticed right away was that what he was saying was designed to do two things. First, it was designed, of course, to address the issues that we were all dealing with uh, in that meeting. But more to the point, and really the reason why this guy was schooling me, was that his words were also designed to show everybody in the room that he was the real lawyer. 
right? I'm the real lawyer in this room, not that guy over there, meaning me. He wasn't talking as much really about the transaction as he was talking about himself. He was making himself big while trying to make me small. And believe me, if I'd been quicker, I'd have done the same thing to him. The men and women you will be preaching to, Lord willing, live in a world where people are constantly jockeying for popularity and power. Uh, where it is incumbent upon them to uh, convey power, not weakness, success, not failure. Uh, They live in a world where jealousy and backbiting and climbing over one another's backs to achieve the prize uh, are daily realities. It's a world where words are used to elevate ourselves and to make others small. I think one of the best Western movies ever made It was actually a quite recent one made in the 90s, Tombstone, with uh, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer, among others. Um, There's a great scene in Tombstone where the intelligent and well-spoken Doc Holliday is playing poker with a not very intelligent Ike Clanton. When Ike accuses Doc Holliday of cheating, of course the game comes to a Uh, an abrupt stop, and Doc Doc Holliday very calmly says, well, Ike, maybe poker just isn't your game. I know, let's have a spelling contest. What was Doc doing uh, with those words? He was making sure Ike Clanton knew and making sure that everybody around that poker table knew that Doc Holliday was smarter than Ike Clanton. And in a way, that's exactly what was going on in the church in Corinth. The way of the world was being brought into the church and don't think that that problem stopped in Corinth. Uh, It is a problem that continues today. Uh, The people in your future congregations and you yourselves will uh, be tempted and will actually at times bring the world into the church bring its values, bring its methodologies into the church. The intelligent and well-spoken and theologically sophisticated and educated uh, believers in Corinth were building themselves up at the expense of the less sophisticated, the less educated, the less polished people in the congregation. It was becoming about the 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 sophisticated ones, the educated ones, and their wisdom, their speech, their insights. Jealousies and rivalries were being inflamed among the people in the church. They were lining up behind their favorite teachers. And that's what Paul was dealing with, really, and confronting in the first part of this letter of 1 Corinthians. And what he does, like he always does, is remind them that Jesus changes everything. Because of the central fact of Christ crucified and resurrected, you have to think differently about yourself. You have to think differently about other people. You have to understand that you and they have a whole new identity because of Jesus. And because of Jesus and his work, we have to live and act differently 
than people do in the world, in the culture. Specifically, though, what I want you as future preachers to see this morning is how Paul addressed this situation as a preacher. What did he do as a preacher? What did he say as a preacher in this situation in Corinth? Well, first, let's see what Paul tells us he didn't do. He tells us two things he didn't do. Verse 1, he says, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. And then in verse 4, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And of course, on a superficial reading, it's, you could argue that Paul is being anti-intellectual. But Paul is no anti-intellectual. It's not that his words are unintelligent or unplanned or not carefully thought through. Look at his letters. If his letters are any indication of how he spoke, of how he preached, then there is no, you know, no way we can say that Paul was, was anti-intellectual. The point he's making here by saying these things is that he was very purposefully making sure that his method didn't detract from his message. He was worked hard at making sure that the man didn't get in the way of the Messiah. I remember when I was a young boy, very young boy, I had an annoying way, apparently, of, of uh, uh, blocking the TV when my dad was trying to watch it. And uh, he, uh, he used to had this expression, funny expression. He said, Ted, you've been drinking muddy water again. And it, and it took me a while, it was a little dense, it took me a while to figure out that what Dad was saying is that you're blocking the TV. Would you move, please? Um, look, Paul knew that, that Jesus crucified was the pivotal act in all of human history. He saw himself as a proclaimer, verse 1. That's what he calls himself. He's a proclaimer, a pointer to another truth, that truth, Christ crucified. And if he did anything that made the the message about him, that elevated him in his people's eyes, then he was, in my dad's parlance, drinking muddy water. He was blocking the view of Jesus. To convince people that he was smart, that he was wise, that he was eloquent, would be to make the message about him instead of Jesus, and he was utterly, utterly unwilling to do that. He knew that because of Jesus, he had to take himself out of the picture. Now, don't think this doesn't have potential application to you as future preachers, particularly in the Reformed churches in which many of you will be serving, where there's a great respect for the word and a great respect for the office of the preacher, there is going to be a temptation by some of your people to elevate you, to put you on some kind of pedestal. And if you have the same sinful heart that I do, there's going to be a part of you that will want to go along. There's going to be a part of you that will want to encourage that. There's going to be a part of you that will want to initiate it. Um... 
And when we do that, we're getting in the way of the message. We're, we're standing in front of the Messiah. And, and, and what, we, what, what results is nothing more than what one commentator called a cultured version of Christianity, which actually builds on human power, human wisdom, and human personality rather than on Jesus Christ. I would urge you brothers to uh, avoid the trap and it is an alluring trap and it is a trap that we can walk into rationalizing our, our, our way in. You are a, we, we can rationalize it that, you know, that we're a recipient of the respect of the office and, and I don't want to denigrate the office and the respect that it deserves uh, but it, it, it can, we can very easily rationalize that into a way of, of, of taking the glory that only belongs to Jesus. In the, uh, in the movie Amazing Grace that came out a couple of years ago, if you haven't seen that yet, it's a movie about the life of William Wilberforce. I would encourage you to see it. I was moved by the, f- the first scene where, you, where we see, the viewer sees Wil- Wilberforce's pastor, who of course is John Newton. You remember the scene where we first see John Newton? Remember what he was doing? Was he studying? Was he uh, writing a sermon? Was he composing a hymn? He was barefoot mopping the sanctuary floor. I found that scene moving because it reminded me, the moment I saw it, it reminded me of my first day here uh, 12 years ago. As I uh, pulled into the parking lot from Orange County, uh, needing to find the men's room quickly, uh, and I ran into the men's room over by the student lounge, and there was Dr. Bergsma, uh, sleeves rolled up, tie loosened, uh, lying on the floor fixing the toilet. And I knew I was in the right school. The call to preach is in a way a call to get out of the way to go so low uh, so that Jesus can be lifted up and so that your people can be lifted up to the throne. With the education you're getting here, friends, and it is a good one, uh, it it is going to be easy for you to write a sermon where you will look and sound intelligent, where you will look and sound indispensable, where you will look and sound better than the pastor across town. You could write those kinds of sermons with your eyes closed. But as I told the preaching class last semester, um, the best preachers do the hard work. They take the next step. They do the, the hard work of of communicating the deep and beautiful truths that you're learning here while taking yourself out of the equation, not calling attention to yourself by the words you use or by the way you use those words, not dumbing down. We dare not dumb the message down, but we have to carefully, intelligently, artfully, sensitively communicate the gospel of Jesus so that people can understand and respond and see and love Jesus, not you. 
Okay, that's what Paul says he didn't do. What did he say he did do as a preacher in this situation? Two things. First thing he says in verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And then the second thing at verses 4 and 5, after saying he didn't preach with wise and persuasive words, he said he did preach with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. Just a couple of comments there. I don't, I don't have time to get into the nuances and the, and the, and the debates exactly about what Paul meant by uh, coming in weakness and fear and trembling, but at a minimum, it means that he did come without a swagger, you know, without an expectation of being served, without a veneer of worldly sophistication, without being the, you know, the type A CEO. How many churches have you heard wrecked by the new pastor coming in who, who, you know, matches the, 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 the method and sophistication of the world by coming in and cleaning house and setting a new agenda. Not exam- exactly a model of humility and weakness and fear and trembling. The world says show no weakness. The world says show no fear. Paul says I showed both. That's what I came with. He showed that to his people. And it's revealing. It's, it's revealing and it's encouraging in verses 4 and 5. That, that, but Paul makes this great linkage between what he's saying, the, the, what he's preaching, this message of Christ crucified and, on the one hand and the Holy Spirit and power on the other. Right? Those two are linked And I hope that encourages you. I mean, the word and spirit are not separated in biblical Christianity. They always go together. You know, and I think one of the weaknesses of of the church today is because we fail to believe that. You're going to be deluged with mail when you become pastors for the latest and greatest Uh, methodology uh, to bring your people to Jesus, to change your people, to transform your people. A lot of it's good. All of it's glossy and flashy and attractive. But what does Paul say? The message of Christ crucified is where the Holy Spirit is in power. It may not be flashy, It may or may not produce immediate results. I've seen both. Immediate results and long-term results. But when the straightforward, uncompromised message of Christ crucified and resurrected is faithfully preached week in, week out, the Holy Spirit comes in resurrection power into the lives of those to whom you will be preaching. People will literally be transformed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit remarkably using your proclamation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It is one of the most magnificent and humbling truths of our calling. 
during Holy Week, I had the, turned out to be the, the, the good opportunity to be interrupted. You know, it's very easy, it's very easy for me anyway, to see my function as a pastor, uh, as, the, as the one who, who studies and writes sermons, and to see the demands of my people as interruptions, and I ask God to forgive me for that. And I'm reminded by Newton that those are uh, divine appointments. And so during Holy Week, you know, one of our busier weeks of the year, I had the opportunity to visit two women in our church who were in the hospital at the same time facing very serious illnesses. Since they were both in the same hospital at the same time, I, I, uh, I visited both of them in one visit. And it, as I, and what happened, of course, is what happens to me almost every time I, I, I do this. And, and that is I go to the hospital thinking I'm the minister and I get ministered to. Because I, I'm there with the people to whom I preach the people whom I counsel and, and, and minister to. But I, now I'm seeing them on the front lines. I'm sort of where they are. I'm, see, I'm where they are living out what I'm preaching. The front lines. And as I came into the rooms of both of those women, it, the, the, there was a remarkable similarity between those visits that, that struck me. Uh, before I could say much more than hello... Both of them jumped in, looked me in the eye, and with steely confidence informed me, almost in the same words, I am not afraid. I am ready to die. And in fact, a big part of me wants to die because I get to go home with Jesus. And I sat there looking into the faces of those women and asked myself, can Ted Hamilton produce that kind of steely confidence and faith in the face of death? Can Ted Hamilton prepare a person to die like that? Do I have any wisdom? Does Ted Hamilton have any wisdom in himself to give these people on the front lines who are facing the ultimate enemy that would give them peace and courage? And the answer is no. I have none of I can't do it. I don't have it. But the Holy Spirit does, and the Holy Spirit can. And he was working in the lives of those women, transforming them. How? Through the steady preaching of the cross. It is a high and wonderful calling that you, have, uh, that you are pursuing it is a high calling that will take you low, that must take you low. Very tempting for us to go into this calling and to think that we'll be the ones up here, the elevated ones that people are looking up to, that have the authority, that have the respect. But friends, we need to go low so people can see Jesus, so we can lift high the cross and lift our people up to the throne room of grace. So I'm praying for you as you study. It's a great privilege for you to be here.
one of the greatest privileges you will ever know. And to prepare for the work that the Lord is calling you to. And I look forward to the day, uh, as I know my other colleagues here do, to the day when you will join us on the battlefield. We need the reinforcements. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this time. Thank you for the teachers here who, who so... Uh, who have been called to to the task of of preparing uh, men for ministry. I pray for them. I pray that you would continue to encourage them in their work and uh, enlighten their minds into the truths of Scripture. Give them the power and the ability and the wisdom to to convey those truths in, in, in helpful ways to these students. And I pray for these students as they read and study and translate and write papers, uh, that they would not lose sight of uh, Jesus, that their uh, eyes would be fixed on Jesus, uh, the one who is calling them into his service. I pray, Father, that through through their work you would prepare them for their great calling. We ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Copyright 2009, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.